everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Pulp Podcast Commission Edition. This time we're talking about 1989's The Wizard. It's a coming-of-age video game product placement movie that was directed by Todd Holland and written by David Chisholm. It stars uh, great young talent like Fred Savage, who's fresh off the Wonder Years, uh, Christian Slater, I think Heather's era Christian Slater. Uh, you, of course, know him from uh, Mr. Robot. He is Mr. Robot, I think. Turns out. I don't know. I'd have to watch season five again. Ginny uh, Lewis, who went on to probably even greater fame than in any of her child acting with Rilo Kylie being the front woman of that band. And then she's had a successful uh, single career as well. Solo career, rather. Hmm. Will Seltzer playing just a great a asshole in this movie. Uh didn't really have much success in Hollywood except for this interesting trivia note on his Wikipedia page, which he was George Lucas's second choice behind Mark Hamill for Luke Skywalker. Oh, what a different life you would have. What the <laughs> hell does the world look like if Luke Skywalker is played by renowned child bounty hunter Will Seltzer? I don't know. Uh, also stars uh, Bo Bridges as Sam. Uh, Bo Bridges has been in a ton of shit, but you might recognize him most famously uh, starring his opposites, more famous brother Jeff in The Fabulous Baker Boys. Uh, also stars Frank McRae, famous for being the screaming police chief from 48 Hours and just the memes in general. I think he parodied that, and I, I know for a fact, Last Action Hero. Uh, he's also the history teacher from Red Dawn. Uh, and this movie also stars... Hawk's truck from over the top. Yeah, it does. I was not sure Frank, Frank McRae is piloting. I didn't, I didn't see if it had the, uh, the home gym still built into it, but uh, I looked, man, I looked at that cab for so long <laughs> trying to find a too. side of it. I could not. I was like, there's, they, they wouldn't rip the pulleys down, right? They might no. take that, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, this movie was commissioned by Josh H. Longtime bald move fan. Uh, really appreciate the generous support commissioning this movie. Uh, his dedication is as follows. The wizard was derided by more than one critic as nothing more than a 90 minute commercial for Nintendo. However, I take issue with this because the last 20 minutes or so is also a commercial for universal studios. <laughs> so- <laughs> Seriously, though, while the criticism is not entirely unfounded, in 1989, I was the perfect age for this movie to work on me exactly as intended. I can't help but love it. As a kid, I was swept up in the adventure of it all. And even today, when I rewatch the movie, my nostalgia, my nostalgia works as cover for some of the blemishes of the film. Beyond that, if I'm being honest, the release of Super Mario Brothers 3 was a bigger deal in my life than was the perfectly reasonable even for a third grader. With all that said, I can't wait to hear your guys' thoughts. Uh, he also has a bunch of questions I thought maybe we could get to after we've had our little organic discussion of this movie. Okay. Uh, I don't want to spoil this for people. Um, so what this this is a this is a movie. This is essentially Rain Man for kids. Yes, a hundred percent. Rain Man came out the year before. Uh, according to Josh in a later question, he's going to ask, uh, or I guess we're just going to, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to let him ask the question here. Okay. Uh, this Rain Man's released in theaters December 16th, 1988. The Wizard began filming just 171 days later on June 5th, 1989. Jim and Aaron did the folks to make the Wizard crib the idea from the movie Rain Man. Is that enough time to turn something around like that? Uh, boy. It's close. 
it's close. Um, if the production schedule, well, not even the production schedule, if the pre-production went quickly, sure. Mm. Um, yeah, you get the green light, you start writing the script, uh, and within six months you have a movie, sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. I'm, I, I feel like it's bordering on two, two, but then again, this movie began filming and then the movie would come out like a few months later. So like this does feel like it was very fast, fast, fast. Um, oh, yeah. The lore behind this movie is that uh, Nintendo, because of a worldwide chip shortage and delays of translating the fraudulent Super Mario Brothers 2 to U.S. shores that they were a full year going on year and a half late on bringing Super Mario Brothers 3 from Japan to America. Mm-hmm. And Nintendo of America was kind of interested in making a big splash with it. And one of their ideas was, well, fuck, we'll just we'll we'll produce a movie and work this stuff in. And that's that. So, like, if I'm if I'm, uh, you know, Nintendo and I'm, I'm coming to uh, what's this guy's name, David Chisholm, and I'm like, hey, we're wanting to do this thing. And I'm a hack writer. I guess I do skeletonize Rain Man. Sure. The, the thing is uh, formula. It is. But like there's. um Rain Man's a heavy film, you know, and this film has a real heaviness to it. And uh, maybe we can talk about that later. But uh, the the movie wants to be much more lighthearted and kind of like zany. Oh, yeah. Than than Rain Man. So those Bow Bridges scenes for sure. A hundred percent. So you have this kind of like interesting tension. Um, But it could be it could be just, uh, you know, movie plagiarism. Yeah. I think it works largely because of that. You know, the the same reason this movie works is the same reason Rain Man works. And I think this movie sits at like a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. I feel like if this movie came out today, it would get like 50, 60%. I'm not saying this is a great movie, but like, I think, you know, especially for what I know later in Roger Ebert's career and how he kind of famously just was a, uh, uh, a, a real shit about video games as an art form or as anything to be respected in any kind of way. You can see that like these two, like I, I watched uh, Josh sent me the, uh, the Siskel, Siskel and Ebert uh, review. It's like a three minute long clip mm-hmm. and it's just two old men shitting on this child's film in a way that they don't typically do for, you know, Roger gave Roger gave it one star. They're both two thumbs downing. Um, I feel like there's just a lot of just like, oh, it's fucking video game shit. It's rotten to kids' brain. Now we just take it for granted their brains are rotten. And it doesn't no one bats an eye. So <laughs> I mean, I, I find it hard to disagree fundamentally with anything they're saying. It's just I was a kid at the time. And so I fucking love this movie. Yes, it's a 90-minute, 100 minute commercial for Nintendo and Universal Studios. Fine. I was a kid. That's what I wanted, right? Like I I was raised on Saturday morning cartoons and video games. What do you expect me to like? Mm -hmm. Uh, So you, what do you think? What, what would you say as one to five? How does this movie rate in the Jim Jones rating system that I just devised for you? (laughs) uh, Look, I'm, I, I am almost like uniquely, primed to love this movie because this movie is my life in a lot of ways. Um, Not, not the broken home stuff that's in like every fucking eighties movie. If you look across the board, every eighties movie with kit featuring kids is broken home shit, right? Like, yeah, you're right. I don't know why 
it's so dark in the 80s, but every single one, Goonies, E.T., literally every big kids movie you can think of, Broken Homes. Uh, Other than that, like, this is my life. The the California theme, I've been to these dinosaurs that they go to uh, uh, at almost the exact same time that they were there uh, in the in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, I grew up on NES. I, it's, it is crazy how much like I identify with this movie because I was the age of, of Fred Savage in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think, I think he's supposed to be like, well, maybe I was closer to Jimmy's age. Cause I was seven when this movie came out. I was going to say, cause I was close to Fred's. I'm, I'm literally yeah. like four months apart from Jenny Lewis in terms of like our age. Um, and I like I, I used to love the Wonder Years, which I think is probably too adult for what I, how old I was. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think it's intended for adult consumption more than like family consumption. But yeah. like the novelty of having a point of view of the show centered around someone my own age was made me want to like, you know identify i guess like grab or you know Mm -hmm. watch that material because like you know here's a guy talking about like you know what it's like to try to approach a girl in school and what if you had a cute girl in your neighborhood and they're going to you're she's you're going to middle school now and she's wearing go-go boots and she's flirting with other guys and how do you how do you know like is is everyone really there's like a lot of the stuff that like poor uh uh, what was the kid's name? I don't know. Uh, poor Fred Savage was dealing with in the Wonder Years the same things I was dealing with at the time, and then the Wizard is just mm-hmm. more of that. Except for it's the fantasy element of like, what if you ran away with your stupid younger brother? Because I had a stupid younger brother. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do too. And and you met this fiery redheaded, green eyed thirteen year old who is street smart beyond, and she's going to like help and you just hustle like video games, hustle yeah, right? video game hustle your way to a championship with big cash prize. Like, oh, my God. And yeah. And the other thing is, like, in, in 1990, Nintendo made this tournament real. They did uh-huh. a traveling video game tournament. I've talked about this before on lunch. I don't think I've ever done it on a podcast. But I actually signed up. Uh, one stop was the convention center in Indianapolis. I signed up. I flamed out in the first round. I did not get onto Aww. the giant stage because it turns out I had never played Rad Racer or Tetris in my life at that point. Oh, man. A year I from wish now, I had known. A year from now, I'd have a Game Boy and I would be a Tetris pro. But mm. I yeah, I, I, I didn't I didn't qualify even for the, the, the main stage stuff. So it was like I and but but I, I so I knew all that. And I'm I'm having dinner with my son last night. I'm like, hey, I got to watch this movie called The Wizard. It's an older movie, but it was like, you know, it kind of came out roughly at the same time that, you know, you know, you're a couple years older, but close. And I got to watch it for work. It's like, it's, you know, something you'd want to. He's like, I don't know, Dad. It's one of them old movies. But I'll I'll give it. He he does this a lot. I'll give it 10 or 15 minutes. And he does. He'll he'll sit down and watch movies because sometimes I recommend it. So I watch Tim and it's, a lot of times I'd be like, yeah, this movie sucks. I'm going to go play Tarkov <laughs> with my buddies. Mm-hmm. He stayed and watched this whole thing. Wow. Because I'm shocked because the first 10 or 15 minutes of this movie is not the good part of this movie. Well, that's that's what I thought because like I didn't remember like how heavy this movie was. Um, yeah. I didn't remember like uh, some of the subject matter, like some of the big twists and stuff in the movie. Um, but like, yeah, he, he stayed in that. And then like, if you do make it into the 10, 15 minutes, you're immediately like the movie, uh, as soon as the, the hits the road, you get into the hustles and the video game stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the, the thing I noticed, so I thought this movie really held, held up well. It's like, it's cute. The young actors have insane chemistry. I think Bo Bridges is hilarious. Sure. Uh, sure. As a, like a Tasmanian devil. Slater, yeah, going at each other. They and have there, really good chemistry, yeah. There's a lightheartedness to that that belies the, the underlying story, the, their underlying backstory. It's... Or maybe belies defies their underlying yeah. backstory because they have a very rocky relationship at the beginning of this movie. Yeah. But mm-hmm. over the course of this road trip, and that's that's one of the things I love. The the road trip changes everybody, right? It does. Uh and not just the kids, but also the dad, the older brother, all that stuff. Uh it's so good. It's so good from but, that angle. I think there are like disjointed weird things in the plot, and I'll talk about those when we get to them, but Overall, this this movie is great, especially for me. Like like I said, it it speaks to me as a kid of about about that age at the time who lived in California, who took road trips across the country, who stopped at the dinosaurs, went to Universal Studios. Like yeah, all the things this movie is showing me, I lived, and I am immensely uh, happy to see them in this movie. Yeah, I I just don't know because like I. Yeah, this movie is a bunch of crass product placement and exists only to line Nintendo's pocketbooks. But I got to say, out of all the crass product placement, cash grab, cash-ins I've ever seen, this is one of the better ones because I do think it holds up. Now, I, I it, it holds up to me. It holds up to a Gen Z. Uh, I don't know... I, I, I don't know if it would hold up for anybody that wasn't like into video games or didn't watch this movie as a kid, didn't cr- grow up, you know, with sweaty hands playing a Nintendo Entertainment System. If you uh, can't, if you can't hear the line, the Power Glove, it's so bad, and realize why that line is so delicious <laughs> in all its various aspects. If you yeah. can't see every facet of that, yeah, I don't think you'll appreciate this movie in the way that it needs to be appreciated. On the other hand, if last Christmas you watched 8-Bit Christmas and had a huge nostalgic glow, uh-huh. it might be time to take The Wizard off the shelf and give it another watch because I think it delivers the goods. I think uh, a lot of stuff that I enjoyed as a child, uh, I watch again and I'm like, oh man, this is, yeah, I definitely couldn't enjoy it. But I I, I did enjoy this on the level intended. Um, the thing, <laughs> one of the things that bothered me is there's so much just stupid video game shit in here. Like, there's a scene where they're marveling over his kid brother, like getting this far through Ninja Gaiden on a second attempt without taking a hit. Mm-hmm. And he's literally 15 seconds into the first stage. Yeah. Uh, there are things that like, just like also scoring if I call in, in Ninja Gaiden, you take a hit, you start over like it's a one hit thing. If I recall, I didn't remember having energy either. Yeah, like this. So uh, maybe this is a different version of it. Yeah. Hit and get to where he is because he wouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, now, if you if you showed me the the screen where he's jumping over pillars and eagles are swooping around him, I would I would sit up and be right. like, "Oh fuck, this guy is a wizard." Yeah. If he but there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of weird shit about where like clearly people are excited about video games. Uh, video games are still a kind of a relatively new niche thing that some of the lore I discovered in the show or research in this movie is that Christian Slater nor Bo Bridges were video game fans, but they yeah. became one after their experiences of playing it. So it's, it's like a um, meta real life transformation happening at the same time. It happens on screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I was looking, well, yeah, because Bo Bridges at one point plays a video game and I was looking at his hands and I'm like, 
is he faking? And I had a hard time telling because like most adults of this, uh, of the, of the era are just like doing this with the thumbs. They're just moving him up yeah, and down yeah. random, but like Bo's actually working the, 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 the cross pad. He's like alternating between a and B and like with no, pr- so, you know, he's either played games or, or he's, he's doing a good job of faking them. But and, and uh, I'm super impressed by the, the game knowledge that is clearly in this movie. I, I think like a lot of the lines that he says, Mm-hmm. actually make sense in the context of the game he's playing. I think like mm-hmm. there is a cross and a magic key in Zelda kind of. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if when he refers to the barbarian in, in Adventures of Link that he's talking about the final boss. I, I don't know where he's talking about in the game. Because it's your dad playing. He didn't somebody as a barbarian in that game. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're talking to your mom about Game of Thrones and she's talking about, you know, the sister fucker and the short blonde guy. And she's yeah, it doesn't have the proper names for any of this stuff. But like the video, the, the actual video game stuff in context, I think I was actually surprised it didn't have a little bit more nuance. It did feel like that the filmmakers heart were in the right place, but they're just like taking random video game footage and you know, the, the Super Mario Brothers 3 stuff tracks a little bit more, although that's ludicrous for a different reason. Um, yeah, what, the, 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 and, and then there are some truly ridiculous things. Like, I noticed one scene where they, they're they leaving a location and Bo Bridges has been playing the NES. Christian Slater grabs the NES. Bo Bridges scoops up the controller and they leave, but they leave behind the RF adapter still hooked up mm. to the TV. I don't have a hard time playing. You could afford better hotel rooms, double two beds in your hotel room. If you didn't have to buy a new RF adapter every time you (laughs) left a location, it was like 15 bucks a radio shack, man. Yeah. They were not cheap in the eighties. Oh my God. The places, the places they stayed at the mattresses they slept on in this movie. Mm, Uh, What do you think about the? Okay. Let's, let's talk about the quality of the film. Uh, You know, the script is whatever it's rain man with video games plugged in. I thought the most of the kid dialogue was pretty good. It was delivered by actors who know what they're doing, actually talented yeah. actors. Yeah. And I think the movie looks good. You know, there's a couple of shots that, uh, you know, there's this uh, um, Jimmy's making this crazy Forrest Gump long walk in the beginning. And there's the American Southwest behind him. The sun's rising. It looks great. It looks it looks it looks really good. It's It doesn't look like mm-hmm. a cheap film. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the look is good. Um, I think the actors are very good. I think the script, uh, I don't know. The edit that ends up on screen is a little disjointed. And mm. maybe I missed something along the way, but I am genuinely unsure of how the plot progresses at some point uh, the way it does. But aside okay. from like a few bumps in the road on on the plot and, and that's got to be a product of cutting a fucking hour out of this movie right like mm-hmm. they shot two and a half hours of stuff against the, the director's two and a half will hours. and best judgment by the way yeah and then they have to cut an hour out i bet there were scenes that were essential that were just like well we got to cut that to get to an hour and a half because everything else is essential is more well, so essential. that's so that's that's one of the, the confounding things about uh i, I looked into make the making of this movie is that uh, the director is like, Oh my God, guys, this is like a three hour shooting script. This is a mm-hmm. kid's movie. What are we doing? Adding like 30, 40 minutes of dysfunctional family stuff to begin this film before we get yeah. into video game stuff. And universal insisted that he shot the script as written. Uh, mm-hmm. Is this like a, uh, you know, I, I just watched the offer 
is this a mafioso deal? Like there was Teamsters getting paid. There was people doing no show. Like it's like, <laughs> hey man, you gotta you get you got 180 days to shoot this thing. You're gonna use 180 days to shoot this thing because we're not giving any money back. Kind of deal on the butt. I just what yeah, that they made shot no it in like sense. a month and a half. It, it wasn't like a crazy long shoot, but right. Right. yeah, I I don't know. I I agree. It makes no sense to shoot two and a half hours when you know for a kids movie you don't want a two and a half hour film. They must have saved the bundle because there's a, there's only one set. It's a pretty good one. The uh, the world the the Nintendo World Championship set is pretty mm-hmm. fucking cool. Uh, it looks video very Armageddon. much like yeah. It's interesting it lo- they didn't use Nintendo World Championships considering next year the Nintendo World Championships would happen. See, this is my this. I want to talk about this in over the top context because I felt like Nintendo was slow on the ball. Nintendo was like, oh well, you know. We'll never have a video game championship because nobody would ever do anything like that. That'd be stupid. It's just this is a fantasy. And then they saw people kind of going, not that this movie is a huge hit, but it did triple its budget. And uh, it definitely got kids buzzing about it. And I think they're like, fuck, what if we actually did this and use it as a vehicle to launch, you know, some of our new video games and get, you know, because it was it was not this this 30 some city tour in North America was a championship. Sure. But it was also essentially like a E3 show. Like there was hundreds of Game Boys with all the latest games. Some games haven't even been released yet. And you go there and you play them. And hmm. there was like new, you know, the Nintendo accessories. You could do all this stuff. It was as much about selling Nintendo as it was the, the championship. And I feel like if they had just timed this right, where this was like essentially a commercial for not just Super Mario Brothers three, but this nationwide video game tour, they would ha- they would have really had something. They would have had lightning in a bottle, and they were just a little too yeah. slow on the bounce. No, I think you're right because like 1990 was kind of the year for all this video game challenge stuff. There was a video game challenge TV show that I was super into called Video Power. I'd watch that like every weekend or whatever. Uh. And that that had a great premise because that was like a competition where you play a quiz competition about video games. And then when you made it through all the rounds, the the final round for the winner was they got to run through a maze, which was lined with video games wall to wall. And they ran through this maze with a Velcro suit that they would pull games off of the wall and stick them to themselves. And then. At the very end, they would slide down a slide and whatever came down that slide with them was theirs to keep. And I mean, video games at the time, those Nintendo games were like 50, 60 bucks each. Uh, Sure. And so if you could grab 35 of these things and maybe a power glove tucked under your arm. You're kid rich. Dude, you are the hero of your neighborhood, of your school. Maybe your school district. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was an incredible show. But there were there You're, were a ton of things like that, right? The Nintendo World Championships, nineteen ninety, Blockbuster yeah. was doing one a few years later. Sure, that, that was Doctor Disrespect. Famously, the nineteen ninety two, nineteen ninety three back to back Blockbuster video game <laughs> world champion. Uh-huh. Get it straight to two time. Yeah, it's uh, it was an interesting era because like Nintendo did that and it was a smash hit. Man, I had to stay stand in line. 
Yeah. Uh, there's people just swamped, packed into that thing. And I think that, uh, yeah, I felt like that's like the beginning of the transition between video games being a sweaty nerd thing mm-hmm. and video games. Like a couple years later, Madden will come out and, you know, the rest is like by 1990, you know, by the mid 90s. By the time you get Halo, by the time you get the Madden franchise and NBA Jam, all that stuff comes out. Like video games kind of hit the mainstream. And it's no longer seen as this kind of like exclusively nerdy type of thing. Yeah. But sure. like this is get definitely back. the transition. Uh-huh. Uh, what else do we want to say in a non-spoiler kind of way? What I, What do you think about the soundtrack? I don't like the soundtrack. I I, I think I don't like the licensed songs are fine, and and yeah. there are a couple of bangers that I really love. But like, yeah, for the most part, the soundtrack is all over the place. Uh, you've got what I can only describe as like electric bluegrass as kind of the theme songs for <laughs> Bo Bridges' yeah. zany antics. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's like a. And then you have other other things where you're trying to be like the police, um, or or Phil Collins or something. And of course, because I mean that's that's the era, right? Mm-hmm. You want to you mm-hmm. want to sound like that. But it was a very weird soundtrack. Yeah, I, it's I describe as forgettable. Like you've got you said the the licensed stuff. If all goes right, you heard a few bars of "Send Me an Angel." Mm-hmm. Um, by the band the uh, real life the, to start the podcast out but but yeah all the stuff is just kind of new kids backing. on the block in there uh which were huge at the time i was not a fan sure. i didn't really listen to my, them at all my sister is a huge fan nice uh which made me like we we're talking about this in the pre-show i was a fan by proxy because she'd be listening to shit in her room and i'm only three you know uh drywall walls away from that room and i'm hearing the right stuff and hanging tough and mm-hmm. and uh yeah it there and and they're kind of they're you know they're a little bit of an earworm so it's like i oh, find yeah. myself as like a 13 year old boy you know humming new kids on and wondering like what the fuck is going on this this shouldn't be this shouldn't be happening there's um, some like zz top-esque stuff in here too it's just a yeah. mishmash of styles yeah strange uh, do we want to get into the spoiler section or the, the, the yeah. you know, like start talking spoilers about the movie? Uh, OK, well, if you haven't seen this film, and I imagine a lot of people haven't. This is a film that's about a young boy uh, from a broken family. You don't really sure what the dynamic is, but there's a joint custody. His younger brothers with his mother. He's got some developmental disabilities or uh, some autism. They're not they don't really go into it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because they're trying not to invite the comparison to Rain Man. He's got some trauma he's in his life. Not neurotypical. He's got some trauma in his life that he that he hasn't processed. And he decides he's always trying to run away and get to California. Mm-hmm. And he does something that gets a lot of police involved. And the family decides they're going to have to put him into a home. And Fred Savage, his older brother, the middle brother in the family, says, nope, not my brother. Goes and kidnaps him from the facility and tries to get him to California by any means necessary. Along the way, he finds out that his uh, brother has a natural tack for video games, natural knack for video games. Uh, they're also befriended by a drifter, homeless, maybe trucker father, Jenny Lewis, who mm-hmm. helps them with their scams and grifts and kind of teaches them the, the way of the road. And uh, the, the, the whole the, the, the whole tension is uh, the parents have dispatched a child bounty hunter to capture Jimmy and bring him back. 
uh, to the family. Bo Bridges, the the father, takes his the eldest son, Christian Slater, to uh, to, to beat them there before the bounty hunter gets them. They're pursued across the country. Uh, will they get to L.A.? Will they be there in time for the video game championship? Will they get the 50,000 cash prize? Will they be murdered by the various bikers, truckers and ne'er do well that they rub elbows with constantly in this movie? Uh, who knows who the honestly, who the fuck knows? This movie could go dead dark places. You'll be halfway through it. Like, I don't know. Maybe these children will be killed and murdered. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's the wizard. Uh, if it's been a while, I think you can watch it. If you got some kids, I think I think kids still in the the six to ten age will just eat this shit up. And I think the older kids, until you know, might might appreciate the you know the nostalgic look back. So uh, try it out, see what happens. What do you want to say now that we've gotten everybody uh, primed and ready and turned off the podcast if they want to revisit this stuff? I think. I'm trying to remember exactly how the media of the era portrayed this stuff, but I think this is a surprisingly pro video game movie for the era. Yeah. Like Jimmy, they talk about, you know, how, uh, like quiet and, um, unwilling to engage with anyone or anything at all. Like he doesn't do anything, right? He just sits there and doesn't talk to anybody. (laughs) Uh, and they say, you know, he's just searching for a way to express himself. And ultimately, that expression comes through video games, which is in my mind a pro video game message. Uh, the dad of this family is eventually converted to a video game fan over the course of this road trip. I'm I don't think that was very commonplace at the time. And it probably has a lot to do with Nintendo of America or, yeah. or Nintendo of Japan being yeah. directly involved in the production of this movie. Yeah, I've referenced 8-Bit Video or 8-Bit Christmas a few times already. I'm going to continue to reference it because it's extremely relevant. Uh, That movie accurately depicts most parents' attitude toward video games of the era. Yeah. Uh, So the fact that one... uh, Yeah. Everyone except my dad. My dad also liked video games. Yeah. So if 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 uh, I I think that that's like a very accurate reflect, this is more of, like you said, the corporate... Nintendo being like, you know, I, we can't have all the adults hating this thing. And, mm-hmm. and it even gets to absurd levels. Like by the end of this movie, even the villain, even the clear villain is rooting, you know, for Jimmy to win and is, 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 is gotten uh, on board with the, the drama video games. It's also yeah. weirdly presaging uh, the professional video game competitions, you know, like uh-huh. the fact that we take it for granted now that video games like people will want to watch competitions of video games. Um, this movie is it's seen like like Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel dismissed it as as pure fantasy, the stupidest thing they've ever seen. Uh, why would anyone? This is so. But like, no, it's, <laughs> why would anyone want to watch somebody throw a ball? Yeah. Why would anyone want to watch an exhibition of speed and skill and ingenuity and head to head competition? It's ridiculous on the face of it. But yeah. like. This movie, even though it did seem like even at the time, I thought this is crazy wish fulfillment. This will never be more than nerds. No, video game competitions are, uh, especially in some parts of the globe, already huge. Mm-hmm. You know, there's esports stadiums in Las Vegas now. You know, yeah, you don't ten, have to go to some, tens of millions of dollars in prize pool money. It's yeah, it's yeah. crazy. It's it's a big deal. So, yeah, it is very pro video game and they show it like and what's what's brilliant about it is they sh- most the, the parent is like against video games at the beginning until they try it. And there's like uh-huh. kind of a message of like, well, why? Because I, I thought that was pretty clever, like Christian Slater 
tries to engage, you know, they've had rocky relationship because of the reasons that we'll get to here in a minute. And, you know, he's trying to engage his dad in conversation about those reasons, but the movie's not ready to get into those reasons. So Bo Bridges just kind of blows him off. And, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Christian Slater's like, you know what? This is bullshit. You don't want to talk to me about nothing. We've got this terrible relationship storms out. And the next scene is the dad as a way, I think, to build the bridge. He tries the video games and finds out he's super into it. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Uh, there, there is a line somewhere in the movie and I'm struggling to remember where it is where some character says video games will make you stupid or you mm-hmm. have to be pretty stupid to play those things or something like mm-hmm. that. And I don't think that character ever has a change of heart. I don't know that we see him very often. It's not like a main character, right? That's the de- stepdad or is it the stepdad? Is it? That well, says he's that? a fucking doofus anyway. That's the thing. Like yeah. the, everyone that is of that opinion feels like they are coded as uh, idiots. Uh, the yeah. one blank card is the mother. Uh, right? I have no idea if she has thoughts or feelings of her own. Uh, yeah. I, I imagine in that other 40 minutes of this movie, they got cut. She's in there at least a little bit. I would hope. Yeah. yeah, she's a nothing of a character in this movie. I want to talk about Ginny Lewis because okay. this is actually pretty forward thinking of Nintendo to put a young girl front and center in their video game movie who is actually interested and has some talent in playing video games herself. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that there's always been women that's been interested in the video games. It's just then culturally that's, you know, to the extent that the young men weren't or were discouraged from playing video games because it'll make you antisocial and this, that, and the other. It went 10 times for girls of the era. It was like they, you know, they were heavily discouraged from by their parents, by social pressures, by their peers, by advertising, you know, by the fact that the majority of the games were hyper masculine. You know, you look at things like, not all my super Mario brothers is, is not that way, but a lot of the games at the time, you know, uh, we're all about killing and shooting and male, like, you know, the male protagonists and Conan, the barbarian types and a bit um, Contra. And I want to specifically shout out Metroid. Cause that's a super interesting case where like every subversion. boy on the planet played that game thinking, Oh yeah, I'm a badass super yeah, soldier. I got this big super armor. I got rockets. Ar- yeah. Yeah. And then you get to the end of that game. She takes her helmet off and you're like, what? That was a woman. The fuck? I've been a girl this whole time. I got coot- eight bit cooties, man. Uh, uh, yeah, that's cool. They do subvert it a bit by you get a better in, the, your endings are marked by how much clothes <laughs> she takes off. <laughs> right, yeah, you're right, so right. close like, to Nintendo. It was still not the 1980s, but you know, because <laughs> then it's like you it's like oh, it's a girl you got cooties, but it's a hot girl, and it turns out you can pay, if you beat it in under four hours, she t- she takes her armor off, she's in a bikini. And I hear right. if you beat it in under sixty minutes, nah, nah, pixelated titties, baby. I don't know. Has that ever been disproven, Jim? <laughs> uh probably not. As in uh, fact, it's probably been hacked into the game by modders. Yeah, that's I'm sure. probably fucking 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 nerds. Um, yeah. But no, they they have this, gr- and it's not even common. Like at no point does Fred Savage say, "What the fuck is a girl going to be in the video games for?" Like nobody ever. I don't think. Uh, I was kind of looking for it. Nobody ever. Even the fucking douchebag kid Lucas. Yeah. Uh, who is? essentially the same kid from 8-Bit Christmas. He is the kid who is the big fish in a small pond. He's inexplicably got every video, all 97 however Nintendo. games, man. I didn't have them. I thought I had a shitload of games. I was only at like 70-something. 
You had a shit ton of games, dude. I, I think I had like at any one time seven because I was always selling. Oh, you know, I was imagine. I was always trying to scrape four cartridges together to sell them to put, pay with some allowance money to go get another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, renting games, live. things like that. Yeah, but um, Here's yeah. Nobody, nobody ever, success. nobody ever, never ever puts her down for being a girl and hanging out with these gamers. And I thought I think it's that's true. cool and it's very forward thinking of Nintendo. The, I, I do want to say, like, yes, I had a lot of video uh, video games as a kid, especially NES games. And I think the secret to my success for that was having lived in California because the big surprise, the shocker is video games were the exact same price in the Midwest as they were in California. And you mm. just make a lot more money in California. So video games, <laughs> you know, huh. per, per dollar were actually cheaper on the West Coast. I never even thought of that, that like... That is a truism that, you know, like yeah. housing and stuff is more expensive, but like video games is much more of like, you know, like, you know, uh, is proportionally much smaller of your, you know, spending. So, yeah, that kind of stuff, the kind of durable goods you, you kind of make out of bandit on the like a bandit on the coast. Mm-hmm. Is Yeah. Great to be a kid in that situation. I'll tell you. Uh but I think Jenny Lewis particularly did just a great job. She's got great chemistry. She's very ballsy. She punches Fred Savage in the face at one oh point. Oh, my God. She knocks uh, him the fuck out. He doesn't move dude, after that. I know. We talk about <laughs> And also, we talk about on the Indiana Jones podcast, like the Foley guys on that took yep. like a, a pile of uh, leather jackets and had uh, some burly fucker with a baseball bat smack it. And that's. I think they used that same sound effect for Jenny Lewis's right cross because yeah. it sounded devastating. <laughs> um, Snapped his head around and yeah, he he was flat out, man. Yeah, and she's super smart. Like she's got this. So uh, we're going to talk about this villain guy. Uh, okay, Putnam. wait. Maybe we take they could take a detour to talk about Putnam right now okay. because this guy <laughs> this guy steps on the screen and my son's watching. And he's like. Uh, this, this guy's a specialty at tracking down children that are run away. And, and Jack's like, yeah, kid looks like a kitty fiddler, <laughs> <laughs> which we we made. We, you know, he's got his dad's uh, malapropism gene. And uh, mm-hmm. we we continued to talk about all the ways you could fiddle kids throughout the movie. Hmm. But the dude does. He does. Like, I don't know. I can't see this guy as Luke Skywalker because he seems yeah. so yeah coded to be a creepy guy right that takes money for tracking down runaway children who's who's that guy who's in ally mcbeal the short like lawyer guy oh the biscuit yeah i know who you're talking about Uh uh he reminds me so much of that dude just in a bolo tie with an open collar which is not a good look I mean, all right. You all look right. sloppy when you have a real tie with an open collar. This just looks like you're trying to look sloppy. I think you're talking about Peter McNichol. Yes, yes, yeah, Peter McNichol. Right. Um, yeah, he's but he's he's definitely given that, and he's terrible at his job too. Like all his competition is Bo Bridges, who is a buffoon, and even with the most outrageous cheating, slashing a man's. T- Tires, uh, paying off truck, uh, corrupt truckers to tow things off, mm-hmm. uh, to tow his vehicle off and all that stuff. He's still, it's like, I think it's hilarious at the end of the movie when he's essentially begging uh, Jimmy's parents, his mom and stepdad to like, just give me another, another couple days to track him down. 
and the parents are skeptical and then he happens to see or Lucas narks on them and says and then he just dashes off and I'm like I don't know if I would give that guy anything if I flew out to California and I'm sitting there berating this guy for not being able to find my child and then my child happens to run past and he th- I'd be like nah fuck I'm calling you off I can run as fast as you can and I can apprehend my child at this point the yeah. fact that his parents don't even man they don't even try uh it's 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 pretty funny but i this I this guy. is the majority of the humor in the film this guy's yeah. one-sided beef well i guess it's not one-sided with with bow bridges mm-hmm. yeah they're, they're the the humor and the kids are the drama um and it works pretty well i i have questions around putnam like he seems to be supernaturally good at tracking kids i actually there are two big lines I was waiting for in this movie. And one of them is he touched my breast. Sure. That one is classic. He gets carried off and then he just shows up at her house. I don't actually know how he found out her name, her address, any of that stuff. I don't think that tracks in the movie. I think that got lost in the cut somewhere. I think you're right. Um, Cause like in begin, I was I was asking my same my, myself the same question. Like, do I believe that he could have followed him here? And I'm like, well, okay, they ran away. What's the new, where, where would you check for runaways? Probably nearest bus station, nearest couple town centers. It's like, yeah, I don't need. But like, the further it gets away, and the more exotic the locales, and like how many different like times the kids get hijacked and Shanghai and all this other stuff. The fact that he's able to keep up with that, and yeah, yeah like a 13 year old girl accuses him of molesting herself or himself or her him molesting her in a Reno casino mm-hmm. and like how long does it take you to talk your way out of that with the authorities right you know right. yeah you're getting held <laughs> overnight probably <laughs> probably you're you're uh, you're gonna go to uh you're probably gonna make a few phone calls to the parents and verify that he's on this mission he's trying to track but also like where the hell did this girl come from uh yeah, yeah. But so uh, I don't know that, that totally tracks. I think the rest of it is pretty solid, though. A lot of a lot of like happenstance of running into people because they're on the trail. Um, like Lucas, yeah, tells Bo and Christian Slater where Video Armageddon is, and so they know to go to that. And yeah, the rest of it, the rest of it's fine. But that was the one thing I was like, how did he figure out where she lives or who she even is? What? Let's talk about Jenny Lewis's home life in this movie. What is her home life in this movie? Is her 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 mom dead and her dad is her dad really a trucker? Because like when I watched this movie, I started paying attention to the dialogue and she keeps on. Oh, yeah, my dad's a trucker and I'm usually on the road with him. and It's super fun. Essentially, she's uh, the uh, over the top kid. Like uh-huh. all the fears we had for the over the top kid. Yep. But she keeps on saying, it's like, well, where is your dad? Oh, well, you know, sometimes he sends me home her early to take care of the place because our place is so nice. And it, but then you see their place. It's a shack. Yeah. So she's and sometimes some stuff. Yeah. And my dad, oh, he sends, he sends me home for the road because, you know, he doesn't want me to spend all my time in the road. He wants me to have a normal. She doesn't have any friends. Uh, the only friends she has are like truckers and ne'er-do-wells and whatnot. Uh, she spends time in a garbage dump. And says, yeah, my dad and I spend a lot of time here. And it's not like mm-hmm. a rest area. It's a garbage dump. Uh, this is an at-risk youth, man. If she hadn't come oh, across yeah. Fred Fred, Fred uh, Savage and his brother, uh, this no bueno. Jenny Lewis is uh, not not a good look a year from, from there. Yeah, no. Her, her mom, who was a showgirl, I guess, when their parents 
met uh, when her parents met, gambled away all of their money. Um, and so they lived in this shitty trailer in the middle of nowhere. I get the feeling that like the dad left uh, because of that. She's so, just alone. And, and and yeah, then her mom died and now she's just alone. Trying to just make ends meet with some of her old dad's friends and buddies. And, yeah. I mean, it's, it's some of the... Um, some of her because that's the other thing she also makes these wild assertions like oh I know truckers and their code and then they get beaten and robbed by the truckers she vouched for that was the scariest part of the movie for me is when they're on the road and she goes truckers have a code and I'm like I know what the trucker code is and it ain't it ain't gonna be good for you I can tell you that yeah because you don't have cash pretty sure you're not smoking weed yeah oh yeah but there's a couple of decent guys like the Frank McRae. I also thought that was a pretty funny shot like that. They, you know, that the 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 child hunter, the child bounty hunter gets fucked with by the truckers and gets their, gets, uh-huh. gets his ass beat by him, too. Well, that um, was the other scary thing is when she says, I know truckers, they've got a code. I'm going to call up my friend Spanky the trucker. His like, name oh, is Spanky. No. Oh, my God. You're right. Oh, you're this right. is going very bad places. But it turns out Spanky's an awesome guy. So, yeah, he'll, yeah, he's he's the guy. If, you know, you need to get booze and you're underage, you go to you go to Spanky. Here's your 10 bucks. Give me my six pack. If you need to place bets in Reno, he's the guy. He'll get it done. I thought it was interesting how these children are able to keep themselves clean on the road. Yeah. You know, like especially all the time they spend rolling around in the dirt and like sleeping in dumpsters and, you know, they're they'll have like realistic like bruising and like dirt on their knees and their shoes are all scuffed and their clothes are dirty and the next. And then and I, I, I know what Fred Savage is rolling around with and I know what Jimmy's rolling around with. Uh, Jenny Lewis has a pretty big like carpet bag type of suitcase thing. But the next scene invariably they are perfectly clean. Their hair is all done. Nice. These kids are yeah. like maintaining a regimen on the road with no running water. No toilet paper, but uh, I don't know. I, I got to because I kept on thinking like maybe the kids are finally going to get dirty in this scene, but now nah, they just keep cleaning up. Yeah. Although it would have been fun to have them show up to the final competition just covered in grime. I, blood, yeah, I thought sweat. that would be <laughs> yeah, scratches and marks uh, and bruises and just, yeah, it's, that's video game Armageddon, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of squalid conditions, uh, so this movie. It, it's it. You don't understand why, but you know that there's this broken family, and the dad is like real down bad, but he's trying. But maybe uh, he shouldn't, because like that trying comes in the form of a burnt casserole, and then it's like instead of like oh shit, I burn it, guys, we're gonna have to. Uh, I guess we'll have to fall back to eat. He's like, no, you guys are gonna have to eat this. It's gonna build character. The motel he makes Christian Slater sleep in. Mm-hmm. They share like a full size bed that looks like the mattress has been fished out of a dumpster. Mm-hmm. I don't think it has a fitted sheet just so you can see the absolute bed bug riddenness of that mattress. And just it's the worst shitty no tell motel he's staying with. Uh, and it's in the- contrast to the splendid, just the absolutely beautiful hotel room that the kids are staying in in Reno at right. the same time because they got all the cash. Right, they've they've hustled their way to the the big time baby. Yeah, that's a fun little uh, fantasy that the kids be living better than their parents at that point. Yeah, and uh, there's, there's they a lot also- of fun little fantasy stuff in this movie like that. Like I think you know, as much as this movie gives a pretty good rap to gamers and the and the you know the power of games and and not like 
the dangers of games. It does the mm-hmm. same with truckers and bikers too, because she also like they hitchhike with a lot of you know scary looking people, right? Yeah. Uh, if you're a kid, truckers can be intimidating for sure. Uh, and then they also hitchhike with these like Hell's Angels looking bikers. Uh, That's referred Judas to as riding looking. bitch, Jim. When you hitchhike on, on a, the, the back, back of, of a Harley that. like that, yes, sure. Yeah. Well, Jimmy rides bitch on a skateboard <laughs> at one point in this movie, which was incredibly dangerous. Incredibly, they're going down a mountain sure. road at like fifty sure. miles an hour on a skateboard. He's yeah. standing on the back. It's a two-man skeleton luge. They're they're inventing <laughs> X Games right here in the Wizard. It was insane, but but you know what I mean. It, it gives like mm-hmm. nothing bad happens to them when they're in the care of the no. truckers or the bikers, and I think that is. It, it, it's a little it, bit of a fantasy element, but it's a positive message that I like. It is, but like, I don't understand because that's one of the things that Ebert railed against is how unbelievable all these situations were. And I'm like, this is a guy who gave a glowing review to Goonies uh-huh. where children outweigh outwit a Italian mafia gang. Mm-hmm. And one of them is held and tortured for hours and the worst thing that happens is he has to confess to throwing up on people like, you know what I mean? Like, like they, yeah. they effortlessly solve plots that killed an Indiana Jones type archaeologist in that movie. Mm-hmm. But like, that's just fun. Escape is fantasy. But three kids trying to make their way to a video game championship. That's a bunch of kids up. I don't know. I don't know what broke in their brains about this movie. Um, I still I yeah. still am salty about the 20 percent Rotten Tomatoes thing because I just feel like this movie doesn't deserve it. I, I will um, say this movie is in no way as good as Goonies. I mean, Goonies. No, is no, 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 no. Basically, I, every way. No, this, this, but it's, it's like it's not like if Goonies is an A plus, this isn't an F minus. This is no. like a C plus. I think totally. Uh, but um, I, I really like the scene. Speaking of the Reno and the opulence, where like Fred like really comes into his own. You know, like he's really cheesing it big time. They found this weird arcade in Reno that operates exactly like a little kid casino. There's like 13 and 14 year old cigarette girls, Uh you know, with uniforms or trays. But instead of cigarettes and booze, it's like Snickers and stuff like that. It's like that's never existed anywhere. I'm sorry. No, there's never been an arcade that fucking cool where it's staffed with age appropriate, essentially 1980s or 1930s gangster characters. Uh, but I, it was a, it was yeah. a really cool scene because again, it's, it's, uh, what would a kid think is super cool if you uh, went to, if you went to Reno or Vegas and there was something like this just for you, you know? Uh-huh. No, I, I thought that scene was great and it's great in large part to thanks to Fred Savage. Cause he is so good when he's like trying to be so cool, right? Trying to be Mr. Cool, pulling out that dollar from his stack of cash and handing it to her keep the change keep the change and she's sunglasses. like rolls her yeah. uh-huh, uh-huh. and it's so this, he's great and they, this is where they i think lean into the rain man hardest because this is very mm. similar to tom cruise yeah. tom cruise taking dustin hoffman to the casino to count cards and they got their fresh suits and they got their sunglasses to come down the escalator and they're spotting the movies like firing off yeah yeah Loses it's definitely track of him gets in trouble mm-hmm. yeah all that stuff yeah yeah. Um what I Bo Bridges, like I I keep trying to com- complete this thought. I think he's him and the uh the child catcher are the two funniest things about this movie. I love the 
like Walter from the Big Lebowski destroying a Corvette energy that mm-hmm. Bo Bridges, like this is what happens when you fuck a man in the ass kind of energy that he brings yep. to the scene where he finally catches up to the guy's car and he's going to just do it in. I well, love it's, he, it's because the guy punctured his tires. Yo, and, yeah. And so he yeah. comes over with a shovel and starts hammering away on the Yeah, sure. Fuck him, he deserves that. Sure. The only thing I wish is when he throw he threw that <laughs> shovel like a yes. spear. I was hoping it would impale the back window and it misses. And then stay there like the rest of the movie, right? Just sticking out. That would be that would have been a that would have been a perfect scene. But it's not just like I think it's definitely an he has a visible distaste from this guy from the beginning because, uh, you know, uh-huh. this guy sleezes onto the screen and he's super eager about finding his kids for money. And then like Bo Bridges at one point says uh, something along the lines of you are you make money off of little kids. You should you little you you, you bet you little shit. You should be shot. You know, like he just kind of loathes this guy uh-huh. in principle. And it's just I think it's just really funny. Well, I mean, the first thing that he says directly to Bo Bridges is hey could you not find your kid so that I could find him so I could get paid right because right. this is my living right no man that's not a reasonable request we're all looking for him whoever finds him is going to find him yeah uh I also love you know in the, in the kids wish fulfillment like they win $400 on craps and then it's yeah. like a little kid's idea of how money works. Like that's an inexhaustible, but you can get the best sweet mm-hmm. in Reno. You can eat high off the hog. You can do whatever you want. If you had four at 400 whole dollars. Oh my God. Yeah. You can buy funny pairs of glasses. I will say sure. the hardest I laughed during this entire movie was when Jimmy puts those glasses on. I think that's legitimately hilarious the way he looks, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and I, I did find the Bo Bridges stuff very funny also, but that got me. Um, there's a little bit, like I said, it's, it's not a big thing, but there's a little bit of kind of the kids playing around with the attraction they have to each other. And it culminates into, I think a really sweet scene where, uh, she kisses Fred, you know, for the first time. And I think his reaction to it is really hilarious and adorable. I think her reaction to it is really hilarious and adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, it, it's, it's, it's great. It's great. Um, oh, oh! One of the things I want to talk about that was um, a little confusing in this movie. Okay, mostly because of the way it's written. I don't think like the actual scenario is very confusing at all. Mm-hmm. But the way they bring up this information left me puzzled. So I eventually sussed out that Corey and Nick—that's Fred Savage and Christian Slater—are yeah. like full brothers, right? Same mother, same yes. father. Yes, yes. On Bo Bridges' side of the family. Mm-hmm. And then Christine, who is now married to douchebag me, whatever, uh, the dumbass, uh, is his second wife, and her kids are Jimmy and the dead Jennifer. Yeah, the twins. Right. And boy, the way they deliver that information is so confusing. It's in a Agreed. speech from Fred Savage. And and this is like 60% of the way through the movie. You're not even sure like mm-hmm. how these kids are related until then. But he says this in the most confusing way possible. I had to like pause, rewind, make a mental model of this thing on paper mm-hmm. to figure out who was related to who in what way. Ultimately, it's not that confusing, right? No, it's not. It's just so I want to praise that aspect of the film. The fact that you get a very dawning idea of what is the deal with this family. 
that culminates by the time you know you get to like there's there's like four different reveals because mm-hmm. they just throw you in like oh it's a broken family and there's this problem and blah 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 I, I really like that because it allows the movie to be really light and not depressing because you just don't know. You don't know what the characters know about the situation. And then by the time the movie arrives at kind of its, I think, fairly effective emotional punch, I was affected. I was not expecting like Dakota. Uh, you know, my in my memory, the yeah. wins a championship. The parents are you know happy about it. And there's maybe a, a, a hint that the, the parents might get back together because, you know, that's wish fulfillment for kids. Right. But like when they go to the dinosaur scene for the uh, the movie kicks it up a notch in terms of genuine pathos, you know? Yeah, I kept waiting for that dinosaur scene because I knew it was in the movie. I remember it. Um, Did you remember how heavy it was? Like the fact that like, oh, my God. No, no. And I was surprised it came so late in the movie after they had won the tournament. I thought it was on the road to the tournament. But yeah, it was it was pretty heavy. And I, I like that part of it. I just don't know why every 80s movie was like this. I th- don't know either. I think it's because it is affecting the children because like you either are from a, a quote unquote broken home and mm-hmm. you can you, you're living these fears and anxieties and, and whatnot. And that speaks to you or like probably for young kids, like every young kid's greatest fear is probably their parents splitting up. And like, what does that mean yeah. for me? And my two favorite people, I'm not going to be able to see them 100 percent of the time. That's scary. So like. You know, it's a it's like, you know, why are zombies? Why are zombies uh, all the time in popular culture? Because they they, there's Mm -hmm. something deep down really primal, evilly terrifying and and uh, perennial evergreen in terms of like social issues and stuff. It's I I I think. think Yeah, it also gives you a a strong possibility for uh, emotional resolution. Right. Like. Right. Because at the end of that story, it's always going to be the family comes together over a hardship, right? They, they uh-huh. triumph over this hardship of being like, you know, not, not on the same page at the beginning of the movie. Well, by the end of the movie, yeah. they're going to come together and be on the same page and all love each other and be happy. So it gives you a good Plus, arc, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't know why there can't be just a movie where a kid who's not from a broken home, who just has a happy family life goes on the road and has an adventure. Come on. As listening to a podcast talking about how, common it is for female protagonists to have sexual abuse in their past you know and i started thinking about that pot and how they're like people are starting to branch out nowadays and that's seen as kind of gauche and passe now and i was thinking like man i I think it goes down to the hero's call because it's like you need uh, some kind of inciting event that will allow the hero to get out of there like it's for so men it's a lot of times it's like they kill their children or their wives right that's the thing you know that's like how many action adventures starts off with the hero's family being murdered right oh oh i thought you meant they killed their children (laughs) no 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 no. okay no Yeah, yeah yeah uh like so like so with women it's sexual abuse with men it's their families being murdered and with children it's their families being rent and destroyed because yeah all of those possibilities um you know uh are, are like these defining events and everyone kind of kind of like these very archetypal things and change your and, view of the world yeah change your view of the world and, and like in the case of children it's uh it, it allows them to have growth because they get away from their parents and they have to kind of like become like little miniature adults which is something that appeals to children so it's like it's like mm-hmm. these things are kind of tropey because number one it's easy you know like you do these things and it just gets people and and it probably behooves hollywood to like branch out of that stuff a little bit come up come yeah, up with yeah. new motivations but like 
you know, it, it's definitely something you can kind of plug and play. And that's the obvious thing with kids, you know, because if a kid's got a happy ha- family at home, why the hell would they ever run away? Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of conflict is going to spur personal growth? That kind of it's it's a lot harder. I mean, you, you can get there. It's just a lot harder. Uh, is is Flight of the Navigator like that, too? I'm struggling to remember the, the beginning of that movie. I thought uh, his parents were just he was from a pretty happy home, right? He just happened they to were. get lost in the woods. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like his 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 brother and him didn't get along, but in a way that a lot of little kids don't get along. Right, right. Uh, the inciting event of that is like literally something from outer space came and abducted him. Yeah, uh, which then caused you know not even it didn't. Yeah, so it's like you're it's right. Like that is a subversion to the rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's but one it's of also the reasons I like that movie so much. It's still it's still being taken away from your parents though, right? Uh-huh. Because like it's yeah. not that the the family goes to shit. It's just that you're separated in time. Everything's weird. You're taken to a lab against your turns out and kept there against your will. And now you're fan. So there's that still plays on those anxieties of what if you were taken from your parents and you couldn't get back. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do you want to talk about the actual tournament? Yeah, please, because I love this thing. So. I mentioned that the real tournament that he later come up with uh, was a three game deal where you had to, I think, get 50 coins in Mario. You had to get a certain, I forget what the thing was for Rad Racer. And then you had to score points and there's a multiplier thing. And then, you know, you had to get like at least 175,000 cumulative points to go to the next round. Mm -hmm. This tournament was weird. And then it's just like you showed up and there was like the qualifying round that was essentially the same as the actual eventual Nintendo world championship. Like, uh, and then the next one is just like scoring points in Mario. But like, yeah, I always thought that was weird because in my, as a kid, I never thought scoring points was the point in Nintendo games. Mm -hmm. In fact, though very quickly they, you know, in, in another five, 10 years, you just don't score points in video games anymore. You know, right, right. Unless it's like an intentional competition kind of thing. And like, yeah, I guess it's more of like, you know, uh, doing cool stuff and getting achievements and things like that. Um, Yeah, I mean, this this wasn't too long after the concept of a narrative in a video game period was invented. Uh, Yeah. I feel like Donkey Kong might have been the first game to give you like a true narrative and a goal to accomplish other than get the highest score uh yeah but but you're trying to to rescue the the daisy the the point was always to to get to the end of the game right to beat all Mm -hmm. the levels uh Mm -hmm. or you know skip past all the levels if you want uh so yeah i it is weird to me to think in terms of score in mario although there always is that score up in the top corner and I guess people who play for that play for that, but I didn't. Well, I remember like in Nintendo Power, that was like something they always did, like, you know, show people that had 999,999 points in Mario or whatever. Like it was a still, yeah. but it's like, it was weird to me. And also the fact that like the, the story behind this is like no one had seen Super Mario Brothers 3 before. It's a secret game. They launched it on it. And the biggest problem I have is that this kid knows where all the secrets are in super Mario brothers three. Like I get it that you're good at video games, but some of that mm-hmm. shit is like, go to this random block and squat on it for 15 seconds. Yeah. The idea that the first kid to play <laughs> this video game would immediately find the warps. Yeah. Is a statistical anomaly beyond anything I can imagine. 
uh, right. it's like winning the Powerball lottery or something. And I, and I don't know, like, I, it's definitely something in the lines of kind of like, you know, every racing movie, it's you always got the scene where the guy's like falling back, falling back, falling back. And then he gets a determined look on his face. He stomps on the clutch and shifts. Yeah. Well, yeah. suddenly the car can just go faster. Holy uh, shit. Like, you can just find the warp whistle and somehow that gets you a whole bunch of extra points. And there's also this ludicrous well, thing where it's thing, like, right? Like they, get they the say star, if he the finds st- the warp, he'll be fine. Yeah. And I'm like, well, not if you're scoring points, because the points are yeah. not going to change if he finds a warp. Maybe the more difficult, I was trying to think of like the more difficult yeah. enemies like Hammer Brothers are worth more. And maybe they're more prevalent in later stages, maybe. but not necessarily. And at the end, he's like 20,000 points behind. And Ginny Lewis is like, get the star. And he jumps mm-hmm. on the, you know, the random little thing at the end of Super Mario Bros. 3, gets the star and he gets like 25,000 points. I'm like, what? This is starting to feel like fucking Quidditch where people like sure. this. This is a sport that's been designed for a kid to win without mm-hmm. any kind of knowledge of the actual sport itself. And I feel like they could have done a little bit better and actually came up with some, you know, this is Nintendo. goddamn. you know, they could have, they could have come up with uh, yeah. something that's still spectator friendly and more tied in with the video game. Well, it seems like there was some element where lose like losing a life meant you lost your points too because when jimmy loses a life his points don't stay the same they say he has to go back to the beginning but he has to go back to the beginning of the level only he also loses all of his points so there's some weird scoring system that they're doing here that doesn't i, I don't know maybe that's how it works in mario because literally i never played for points so well, you might yeah, lose all your points right. when you go back to the beginning of the level well that's the other thing is like that to me him this is like uh in over the top where hawk gets beat yeah it's like yeah. this guy dies twice in the final round not and i think uh mara the uh, the, the 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 pigtailed festooned competitor that's actually rooting for dies uh-huh. once um lucas doesn't die at all and somehow, yeah. you know, he gets yeah. a star and he just wins. It's it's I don't know. Uh, it's a little bit anticlimactic. It, but I cannot stress a how real much video that, game nerd. That did not matter to me as a seven year old watching this movie because Super Mario Brothers fucking three was on screen. I mean, I yes, I cannot tell you how big of a reveal this was for children of the era. Like Super Mario Brothers three was only out in Japan. It came out a year earlier. Uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 I don't think would come out for another little while after this mm-hmm. so this was literally the first opportunity you got to look at an American mm-hmm. version of Super Mario Brothers 3 uh, I know it was in like magazines were reporting on it and stuff yeah but Nintendo Power and all that yeah I don't even I don't think it was even in Nintendo Power maybe yeah. it was maybe it was I was but a I remember subscriber this being at the time just and huge like I mm-hmm. couldn't even because they don't I don't think they marketed it as like this is the first view of Super Mario Brothers 3. I think that was kind of a surprise. Right. And so when that comes up on screen, it blew my fucking mind. Yeah, and the fact that Super Mario Brothers 3 is like a revolution in video gaming. Yeah. yeah. Like I and it's one of the reasons it's still my favorite Mario game. Like I know the Super Mario Brothers world for the Super Nintendo is technically, you know, more sophisticated, but like I just mm-hmm. think Super Mario Bros. 3 is still one of the most mind-blowing games I've ever played, just in terms of like how many levels, how many enemy variety, how many power how much power-up variety you had. Yeah. It's like especially since like Super Mario Bros. 2 was a little bit I think of a disappointment 
if I'm being honest as a kid, like it didn't yeah, feel yeah. like Mario. And this is just like everything that I loved about the original Mario Super Mario Brothers game turned up to 11, mm-hmm. still in an 8-bit cartridge. Yeah, and looking 10 times better. I mean, that game looks so much better the than airships. Super Mario Brothers. I mean, it's all yeah. very kind of cheesy now, but like the fact that you had these big movable airships you had to invade, had cannons and all these hell it's and and like all the distinct bosses that had different patterns. Like it's very sophisticated and modern and I still think the art uh, and the music. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. The music is so, so much better than that game has any right to 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 have. I guess my question about this tournament is okay so he won 50,000 smackaroos as the announcer mm-hmm. says mm-hmm. uh is that enough to keep a child out of a mental facility because like i don't know what fundamentally changes about this like he goes to the dinosaurs he has a a moment about jennifer but i don't think he's a changed kid necessarily i, I don't see no, any but indication I- of that at least so why would his dad or his stepdad and his mother still not want to send him off to home I think it's maybe that I know because fifty thousand dollars is a lot. I mean, that's probably around a quarter million dollars <laughs> so nowadays, right? He bought their love. No, okay. not the love, but like also, I think the end was showing that like this kid might think differently than us and have a different way of processing emotions, but it's there, and maybe we should try harder to understand him. Okay, okay, you so know, they did have like he had all heart. these unresolved feelings, and and the other thing that I kind of didn't like is like there's a hint that maybe the parents will get back together, that the ste- mom's oh. going to throw the stepmom over. And, you know, we'll, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, wow. But, uh, I also wondered how Bo Bridges got custody of any of these kids. Like is the, uh, the other mothers mm-hmm. just dead because my God, the conditions these kids are kept in. He's driving, he's driving down the inner, the, the highway at the end of this movie. These kids is hanging out in the back of his pickup bed. <laughs> sure. Like, I mean, he's their biological father, right? I, I assume there's a default to that, but there's, yeah, but yeah, he's a he's a biological father living in squalor uh, in the late '80s, and he got full custody of his kids. The mother is nowhere to be seen. Like it, she, she's either dead or a drug addict or something. I is. assume she's dead. Yeah, and that was my assumption, but I honestly don't know if that's true. The uh, so so there's there's a two and a half hour supercut in this movie. So if you want thirty more minutes of this family being terrible and dysfunctional and uh-huh. awful to each other, it's there. Uh, I, it doesn't really, it doesn't, doesn't improve the movie much, but, uh, there's also some fun, more fun road scenes, but okay. Yeah. I think um, the, the, the theatrical one is the definitive release. There is an actor in this movie, a very famous actor in this movie that we did not mention yet. It's Are one of my aware? last bolded points. Yes. Right. Yes, I am. Toby McGuire shows up as one of Lucas's goons outside of video Armageddon as a, as a no credit, no lines. He just no lines. He's just there it, with his sweet ass '90s mullet. He's so mulleted. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. He looks like a yes. video game character who's just in random idol animation. Something he randomly gets like a Toby frown. McGuire. He smiles. He he looks <laughs> blank. It's like there's no, nothing is in like reaction to the sick burns that Lucas has given or nothing. It's completely random. He, Toby McGuire always looks like he's high. Always, even when he's an eight-year-old, he looks high as a kite, man. He does. He's something about the eyes. Yeah, uh-huh. he's got those heavy-lidded eyes. It's it, very aloof-looking. This which, is his first theatrical yeah, appearance. He's uncredited, uh-huh. but it's the very first movie he was ever in, The yeah. Wizard, nineteen eighty-nine. How you go from that to Spider-Man? I don't know, but there's a track there. You can you can go view it. You said he had more stuff. 
Yeah, Lucas. I want to talk about Lucas because, my God, if there is a famous line in this movie, it's about the power glove. It's so bad. Uh, For kids who were not alive at the time, it's so bad meant it was fucking awesome. Every kid I knew used the word bad to mean very, very good. Yes. I don't think that's still a thing. Nah, it's moved on. Now it's all bussing. Right. Bussing. Things are bussing. No cap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. No, we we were very ironic back in the It's why it's cool and rad and all that stuff is still stayed this, but Uh like, yeah, things being, that's that's so bad. I I guess you do have badass or sick, you know, still have a couple of like negative things that are also, they're actually cool, but. That's true. But yeah, just being like power glove is bad just as plain. And it is, you know, we, we went in on the power glove on 8-Bit Christmas. It is the, it was like a $129 controller. I believe it was more expensive than the game system itself. And it's the only yeah. thing like if I if you had a $129 controller in any other like that would be the controller you use and the guests would have to play the shitty ones. Mm-hmm. No, you might you probably fuck around in the power glove for five minutes and then like, yeah, you let your kid brother play at that shit because oh, it's yeah. in the best way to use a power glove is to take it off and use its full functional control pad just as a control pad. And that's the, you know, this multifaceted line that I was talking about earlier in the podcast because it was legitimately bad. It was a very bad controller. It did not Mm. behave how you wanted it to. But also, it was the envy of every kid at the time. Like, you pull out a power glove at a party, you were the king of the world. Yeah. It's it's exactly like it's depicted in 8-Bit Christmas, but, like, I, I feel that in that line. Dude, I grew up watching that Captain In cartoon and yeah. he always had the fucking light zapper on his hip and the power uh-huh. glove in his right hand and he could do, he was like unstoppable. Controller on his belt. Hell yeah. Ganon would have whipped his ass in the first episode trying to use that controller against him. Um, and I mean, the introduction to Lucas. I mean, everybody says Lucas is so awesome. Oh my God, he's, yeah. he's very cool. He, yeah. He's very much not cool. But the smash cut to Lucas after they say Lucas is awesome where he's got these glasses on is just comic comic gold and his hair lucas's hair there there are two sets of hair in this movie that i want to talk about one is maybe the only person on the planet whose hair i am envious of is christian slater especially in the 90s christian slater has amazing hair he does Uh, and for the era it was perfect Mm -hmm. lucas's hair on the other hand it's got some sort of gravity defying short wavy mullet it's you know what it is it's a combination he has both the ac slater and the zach morris simultaneously somehow (laughs) i don't know how that works but it's true take a look at it and tell me it's not yeah yeah it's kind of early jude law oh god oh god yeah i feel like that's talented mr ripley gattaca era jude law (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay young jude law it's close-ish uh what else you got because we got we also still have a little bit of josh h stuff to get through uh let's get to that to get yeah. to okay um first question he'd like to propound this with is why is christian slater why didn't christian slater have a bigger career he's had a fairly good run but as late as the mid 90s it seemed like he's on a trajectory of becoming a much bigger star yeah well i didn't know this either but i looked in his wikipedia and it became pretty clear 
that mm-hmm. he got heavily involved in alcohol and drugs. He yep. had a spouse that's the same. And then after a bunch of upheaval, he kind of got his life together in the early 2000s, had some kids, de- dedicated his life doing that, still did like voice work in Hollywood and kind of behind the scenes. I mean, he's never gone away. It's just mm-hmm. that he was sidelined for like a decade just getting into blow and alcohol. Yeah. Um, and it. uh, it's 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 sidetracked a lot of people's careers. You know, it's like, uh, why did why, you know, Rod, uh, 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 shit, Downey Jr. What's his uh, sure, Robert, Robert Downey Jr. Man, it seems like that guy fell off for a period of time. Well, it was the, it was the booze and the drugs. So, yeah, Mickey Rourke, you know, all, all those guys. Yeah. And the and Mickey Rourke adds uh, <laughs> an addiction to plastic surgery to all that, too. Yeah. Uh, he also says, how likable was Fred Savage as a child actor? Actually, I was recently watched some of the uh, the uh, the Wonder Years, and I would describe Kevin Arnold's most notable traits as unnecessarily abrasive and confrontational. Also, Savage seems to bring some of that same energy to the role. Am I on to something or is just personal bugaboo of mine? I mean, Kevin Arnold is very neurotic, for sure. And that, that manifests in somewhat abrasive ways. I think it's just like... The this air, I mean, I don't know. It's like the Goonies. All those kids are kind of misanthropes, and they swear, and they're doing this and that and the other. And yeah, you know, it's kind of authentic kids, but it's also a little bit of heightened kind of reality. And I think there's something to uh, a kid who's able to speak his mind to adults without any kind of repercussions. Really, is very mm-hmm. attractive. And they're, they're, they're he was directed to do that, right? You know, yeah. Uh, he says also California has been a dream, almost a mythical dist- destination for hundreds of years in America. With all the problems California faces today during the overpopulation, climate change and a questionable state government did the end of the 20th century kind of begin and end to that era. Ultimately, what Jimmy calls California is really just a dinosaur park at the end of the film. But I feel like they, <laughs> if they remade the movie in 2022, the titular character kept on exclaiming California with a starry eyed look in the distance. It wouldn't land the same as it did in the 80s. Oh yeah, no, you're you're I, totally right. I still think California is the top tier destination that every kind of like moderately attractive or successful minded mm-hmm. person wants to get to. That's not New York City. So right. it's like at least in this country, certainly. Uh, sure, it's on fire. It might run out of water in twenty years. Uh, and and it, there's there's a lot of messy stuff going on in terms of like local and, and national politics, but like my god, it's got great weather and tons of money. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it, it still has a a good uh, slathering of that mystique. Certainly, like yeah. everybody in California has an opportunity to get famous and be rich, and the people are beautiful. The weather is great. The it, you know, the diversity is awesome, um, but that's becoming less and less. So I, I 100% yeah. agree with that. And I think pretty soon we're going to have probably a mass migration out of the area just because we fucked it up so much. Yeah. Uh, most importantly, which one of you is the better Super Mario Brothers three player or should that be settled live on lunch? I, I, yeah, I, I, don't, I, know. I don't know about that, but that's the thing. It's like I, I don't even know what that means. Like, right. Higher score, faster. Like we both beat it. We we probably. I I will say this. I don't know the location of the last warp whistle. I'm pretty mm. sure I can get to the first two. I have no fucking clue where that last one is. The one that takes you to like World Seven. I yeah. I, Does it take you right to eight? I thought I it was like. Remember, That's you skip the four, you skip the seven, then you skip right to Bowser. Uh, it's been a long time since I played that game. 
Well, you don't have to skip it. You you have the choice. You can go to uh, either of the three sets, and then you just got to Bowser's World at the end. Uh, but yeah, I have no fucking clue how to get the last warp whistle. So if you had that knowledge, then you'd probably wax me. Well, I don't. In a speed run. So it might be close. It's a great game. I haven't played it in a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one of those things like I haven't, like I go and play Legend of Zelda pretty regularly, like every couple of years. I play Mega Man 2 almost every year. Like huh. I'll just get it out. And like, it's something I can beat in like a Saturday afternoon. Great game. Uh, you know, I know yeah. all the it's it's and I think it's of all the there's a lot of great games they feature in this uh, thing. Yes. Um, you know, I wrote down some of them. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Double Dragon, Simon's Quest, which was Castlevania 2, correct? Mm-hmm. Mega Man 2, RC Pro-Am, Contra, Rampage. Some of my favorite games of all time. But uh, the one that gets a lot of play still gets a lot of play is Mega Man 2 and RC Pro-Am for me. I love mm-hmm. those games. Nice. Um I think that's going to do it. Josh H., thank you for commissioning another really fun movie. A lot of nostalgia to this one. Uh, it's, it, was, it was a lot of fun to cover and appreciate uh, all of your thoughtful questions and your generous support. Uh, people might be wondering out there, gee whiz, how can I make Jim and Aaron watch some of my favorite things and talk about it? Uh, well, it's easy. Go to support.baldmove.com. Check out your commission of podcast link. Click on that thing. Uh, there's there's tons of explanation. You, you, you slap your money down. You tell us what to watch, and then we'll get in touch with you and take care of the rest. Thanks once again to Josh H. for commissioning The Wizard. Uh, we will be back with another pulp or prestige movie before you know it. And until then, uh, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>